Hey guys, welcome to the A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at Damasimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. And today I'm gonna talk to Bobby Hirschfeld, the partner and chief creative officer at SS&K, an agency in New York City. Uh, they do advertising, PR, all kinds of stuff. Actually, what they say they do is, we are a merry band of refugees from all facets of marketing who have joined together to develop work that is important and immediate. So we're gonna meet one of those refugees today, Bobby Hirschfeld. But first, as always, the A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School advertising age called Ad House, New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy is that an ad class is only as relevant as the professionals who teach it. Ad House classes are taught by the best in the biz at the agencies where they work. You can get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com. And for the latest news, follow Ad House NYC on Facebook. And now, my interview with Bobby Hirschfeld. Welcome. Thank you. Bobby Hirschfeld, sitting in the studio with me. Uh, we have known each other uh, a while, you know, not closely, but- no, like uh, a good 10 minutes. You were on my bowling team. Yes. Once. <laughs> I showed up twice. You showed up twice. Had a couple gutter balls and I walked away. Yeah. I wanted to leave fun. on a high note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We want you back. Yeah. Come back after- And you're uh, like this, the reigning this, champs. It's- uh, did we win this year? I'm not sure. Yeah. I might not even play this year. I might just do like a Snapchat. I might be like uh, like ESPN for, for bowling. Nice. But we'll talk about ESPN. Cause, okay. Because that uh, dovetails with your... But uh, you're the uh, chief creative officer at SSK now. Yep. Uh, where did you start off your, uh, your life? Where did you grow up as a young boy? I was born in Akron, Ohio. Uh, and I did not know that. Yeah. Moved when my parents got divorced and moved to Miami. Beach, Florida, for elementary school. Wow. And then eventually settling in West Hartford, Connecticut. Wow. And that, that was... was through junior high and high school. Yeah. So you you were sort of a uh, latchkey kid? Like, what was it like? Like, were you- uh... It was actually quite hard. Um, I moved at very pivotal moments in as a, the development of a boy. I mean, at seven yeah. or eight years old, right when you're starting to become aware of friends and playdates- Moving to Miami and then the beginning of teenage years, you know, starting to get 10 to 13. Yeah. You start to, you're figuring yourself out. Yeah. And in you're general. in Miami, which is in Miami, know, which is the opposite of, well, the opposite of, of Ohio. Yeah. And then to go from there to, the, to New England. Yeah. It's three completely different places at three very different times. So yeah. uh, I think, I feel like I did it pretty effortlessly. It probably mm -hmm. did have an impact on me, but uh, definitely the idea of adjusting or moving or um, meeting new people or being able to deal with time on my own yeah. uh, comes pretty naturally to me. And you had brothers and sisters? or I have an, older, was... bro I have an older brother, okay. uh, four years older than uh -huh. me, and he kind of was my partner in all of it. And yeah. uh, I have a step-family. Yeah. My father remarried. Yeah, yeah. And uh, your brother, what did he end up doing? What, what does he uh, do? My brother got a job out of college for IBM, uh, working in Salesforce for corporate, IBM corporate, and then yeah. ended up working for my dad in Ohio. Oh, wow. And, uh, and now he is part of a startup that is doing pretty well. Yeah. How did you find advertising? How did that, like, 
You started as an account guy, right? I was an account guy. Uh, but how did you, like, where did advertising sort of seep into your brain as a thing you could do as a job? Uh, nothing in common. The movie with Tom Hanks and Jackie Gleason. Oh, wow. Actually, I was I a huge Tom Hanks fan. Movie. Yeah. This was in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. And I liked him. <laughs> I liked what he did. But on a more serious level, that was kind of the Hollywood, you know, portrayal of advertising. My mom is an artist and my dad's an engineer. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was a really good way to combine everything that I've inherited from them yeah. uh, into one profession, the kind of business clinical understanding of, of companies and brands and messaging with the fine arts of creativity. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was a nice way to appeal to both of them and also kind of develop what's already I felt was in me. Yeah. I just didn't know that there was a creative department. Right. I was, uh, I was graduating college and uh, DDB Needham in Chicago was recruiting uh -huh. and I interviewed and I had no idea what account management was. I thought you just become a creative. Right. But in those days, the the creatives sat on a different floor and wore whatever they wanted and the account yeah. people had briefcases and wore jackets and ties and suits. So I just fell into an account management role. So you went to University of Michigan, big, yeah. big school. Yeah. Uh, what did you major in? I double yeah. majored in English and communications and a focus okay. on creative writing. Oh, okay. So you yeah. wanted to be a writer? Yes. Yeah. Very uh, much so. And you wanted to write books or you wanted to write journalism? What did you want to do? I wanted to write books, short stories, humor essays. I actually applied to Letterman out of college oh, wow. uh, to be a writer on staff and obviously didn't get that. But it was, if I could write comedy, if I could write um, fiction, a book, anything. But I just, there was a little bit, I will admit, um, a healthy degree of one, laziness <laughs> and two, fear. Yeah. That this idea of graduating in a recession, how would I afford to live? I was yeah. being thrown out of the bubble yeah. and now had to fend for myself and so the job seemed like the easy way to go. You graduated around the same time I did, uh, early 90s, yeah, uh, first Iraq war recession. Huge recession. Sort of area. Huge recession. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that wasn't a good time. My no. first job, I had to take a job at Ogilvy Direct, which I was like, okay, I'm basically dead. And you were probably one of the few people in your school to get a job out of college. Most people didn't get yeah. it. Yeah, um, a lot so, of people didn't go into advertising at all. Exactly. That, and we went to FIT, so yeah. it was like, that was our thing. Yeah. Um, so you so you get this job at DDB. Where did you did you was it just like oh I got to go into advertising or how did you pick advertising? What was the? Well, I was excited. I mean, it yeah. was it was. I just thought how to have a steady career, so to speak, by being a creative person. Mm -hmm. Again, not knowing what account management was, <laughs> I thought. I thought this would be perfect. I thought it was yeah. going to be great. And the agency was a really friendly agency. At the time, yeah. uh, DDB and Lear Burnett were kind of fighting it out. Um, but there were a lot of, on Michigan Avenue, JWT, Foot Conan Belding, there were yeah. these big agencies and Chicago was exciting. It was, the Bulls were kind of huge with Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. So it was a really exciting place. Um, I fell into some bad luck. I My boss, my boss who uh, I worked for got fired during uh, layoffs. So I was yeah. without a boss for a good few months. Then my other boss quit after like eight months who I really loved. And then I got another boss who um, by that time I was kind of cast aside. I mean, I right. was I was an invisible person in there and it wasn't for me. I mean, actually yeah. in looking back, it was a terrible experience. At what point did you realize, oh, this isn't that job where I write ads. This is the job where I'm selling to 
clients and pretty it was pretty soon in fact this is crazy but harold einstein was a copywriter yeah. at ddb uh-huh. when i was there and i would go down and i would talk to him and be like yeah. I, I didn't know what am, what am i supposed to do you know and, and he'd be writing clorox cleanup ads or oh, clorox wow. ads and that was pretty early on in his career too very right? early he hadn't met Jerry Graff yet or any of no, that stuff. Yeah. No, so we we I kind of bonded with him over oh, just great. how weird this is. And there were a lot of account people who had books under in their desk drawers and yeah. were trying to pursue other creative endeavors. But it was definitely a period of maybe you went through this, but you laugh when the boss laughs. Um, <laughs> at one point, I had to go with my boss, the head of the account group, to Marshall um, Marshall Fields yeah. and hold her. Uh, she bought sheets and pillows, and I had to carry them back to the office for her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, like, hierarchical. Yeah, um, gopher-type stuff. Totally, yeah. totally. And I worked on Clorox and then typed up conference reports. And But you yeah. you were there for a while, right? No, were, one year. Oh, one year. I was fired. One year there. I, I was let go on the— the day a year later that I was hired. Oh, okay, I see. It's but you you stayed an account management person. I did to your next two jobs. Exactly. So I I worked in a video store. Then I decided I need to go to New York. And right. New York at that time too was really where you, I thought if you were going to learn stay in advertising, you needed to learn it in New York. Yeah. Um, this is really before Widens and Goodbees kind of blew up, and Shiat yeah. was agency of the decade. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, I moved with nothing to New York and I camped yeah. out of my great aunt's apartment who was a, went to Florida in the winter and I, I cold called yeah. places wow. and basically I only had one year of account management experience. So the idea of putting a book together yeah. and becoming a creative was not feasible. I had to get a job. So right. I would write down my introduction. Hello, my name is Robert Hirschfield. I'm an assistant account executive from DDB Needham, Chicago, and yeah. I'm looking to relocate to New York. And I just got rejected and rejected. And finally, yeah. I called Shy at Day, Eve Lupert at Shy at Day, and I didn't even do the introduction. I just said, do you need an account person or what? <laughs> and she said, how quickly can you get here? And really? I got the job in that day. And I started at Shy at Day. Wow. Um, after about six, seven months as a video store clerk. That's amazing. Where were you a video store clerk? What in was my the... building in Chicago. So my It was like a, lobby a, of my like a local... Oh, video yeah. store like the porn uh, section was bigger than the new release right section. right so a lot of creepy dudes a in there creepy. just kind of like yeah that's amazing yeah uh quentin tarantino did the same right? i know and he, he went like, on to do in... pulp fiction yeah I, uh... <laughs> well no you, you've gone on to do some pretty great stuff too. yeah uh but um that's amazing that you had that experience that bad experience did you ever think about going into other fields or was i thought it... about going to the peace corps Okay. Actually, uh, for travel, and I mean, it sounds so um, weird to say that I had this idea of going to the Peace Corps and doing good things abroad, and then right. I ended up going to advertising. But really, it was a thoughtful decision to stay in advertising. Um, when I got it, when I got into Shaitay, I loved it. I yeah. loved it. Um, great creatives. It was the start of many of those careers. Yeah, who was there at that time? Because uh, we've had a few people. You had Eric here, Silver, yeah. Ty Montague, Charles Hall, Kathy Delaney. So that's where you met Ty. David Angelo. later worked for again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah David I was, Angelo was there? David okay. Angelo was there. I, so he hadn't left yet. Did you hear the story where, uh, so we had Eric Silver on, and he told the story of um, of David Angelo, who we've also had on. Uh, David Angelo was there, and Eric 
heard him give this speech, and I don't know if you were there for the speech, but he was like, we're going to do it. Yes. We're going to, it's going to be amazing, and let's do it. And everybody was feeling down at the time for some reason. Maybe you just lost a client. I don't know. Uh, and then Eric went home that weekend, and he was like, man, I love that guy. He was great. And he came back in Monday morning, and they said, uh, he said, where's where's David? I want to tell him. They're like, oh, uh, David's been fired. <laughs> well, before that, yeah. Before <laughs> left Yeah, before that, David would quit a lot. Oh, okay. And my job was to get him back. Really? So if you told him to make a logo bigger or Reebok, it was on Reebok, kill yeah. something, he would just go, that's it, I'm out of here. And he would start packing up his portfolio, the big leather cases, and he'd walk towards the elevator and they'd be like, get him back over here. So I'd have to follow him to a bar and bring him back. And oh I'm like, you're not God. quitting. And we'd, you know, the thing about that time at Shiat, um, I mean, Dick Siddig too, I, everyone made you a better account person because yeah. you really learned how to fight for work and there were smart creatives and passionate. I mean it yeah. wasn't an ad. It was it was art and it was a way of of presenting a brand to consumers yeah. that was not selly. It yeah. was you know we were competing with um, Nike and it was right. one two the sneaker wars. Yeah. And so there was a real passion for what we were doing and it made it made me really enjoy the job. I mean, right. And I love being a part of it. Um, so that was it, three years. And then plus Jay. I mean, Jay was a huge force at that agency. And yeah. Lee Clow would Jay come Shiat. in. Jay Shiat, right. And, um, and so I was, I did so some So this was, product. you were downtown. You were, uh, we was were, this the- We were on Fifth Avenue and okay. 17th. Yeah. And then we moved to the virtual office. Yeah. And Jay kind of started that thing. And it was, he was way before his time. I mean, right. that was- It I mean, wasn't really feasible at that time. Not at that, at that time. time, no. There was no real internet yet. I mean, there was sort of email. Right. There wasn't, and there were no cell phones. So we had we had portable phones that worked in the office. We so still had those in 2000 when I was at uh, oh my Shia, God. Yeah. And I would be like, I don't want one of those. Why would <laughs> yeah. I want one of those? It was hard. It was hard, but I admired Jay so much. I mean, I remember the speech he gave when he opened that office. Yeah. What was that like? What was that he, speech? His speech was, when you're a kid growing up, you're told when to sleep, when to eat, um, when to play. And eventually through life in elementary school, there's nap time, there's lunch time. You get to high school and you maybe get a free period here or there. Then you go to college and college, you can do whatever you want. You just have to show up right. in order to get your grades to graduate. So what happens after college when you go back to work and you're told to show up, to eat, to sleep, to when you can take breaks, when there are meetings? He's like, we're going backwards in development. You need to be able to um, be free, come and go as you please, yeah. work away. And when you have a meeting, you show up. And that's yeah. that's how work should be. Yeah. And you should never be comfortable at your desk. You should be in someone else's desk and right. someone else should be in your desk. And that kind of chaos and freedom is what would make us better. And Where did he get that idea from? I don't know. He was He was amazing. Yeah. He was amazing. I would do pet projects for him. And so, he was an account guy, right? So you sort of... he. I think he was an art director. Oh, he was? I kind of okay. think so, yeah. I always thought of him as an account he guy. He might have been an account guy, but he was a he master... He just got really good at, at selling things, right? Really good PR. He was confident and he was brash. And he also... Um, he was one of the few advertising people, especially coming from Chicago, that said no. He really didn't believe the client was always right. He thought right. that we're hired to do something and... We know, otherwise yeah. you wouldn't have hired us and right. we're allowed to say no and stand up to you. Yeah. There was a real freedom in that. Did he lose clients that way? Oh yeah. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. But it it just he he just got 
he just got new ones. I mean, right. he just, he, he was able to rebound. Right. And he was charming. He was extremely charming. Yeah. So while you're there at, at, at Shy, you still, you feel like you had to sort of do the account guy thing. Were you still like a secret creative? Would you try to like jump on projects every now and then? I did. Or, I took or? classes. I took classes. Okay. Um, but I didn't feel I needed to be a creative. Right. In some way, I started getting intimidated by the job because I was surrounded by who I thought were incredible, yeah. incredible creatives. Um, even Dave Cord, Bob, yeah. Bob Rice and Steve Schweitzer would come in from LA. I mean, yeah. there was just these, they would fly in and fly out and there was just this crazy um, group of people. And I, I probably felt at that time that I was never gonna be that as good as them, right. but I was good at understanding what they were trying to do. Yeah. I was good at relaying that to clients um, and I worked hard. I yeah. was really into the work and I yeah. believed in it. I mean, I bought into the whole shy day and night, better to be the pirates in the Navy. I yeah. mean, I bought into that. Yeah. Yeah. And as an account guy, what was your role there? Did you feel like a second class citizen to the, to the creatives or did you? Well, I did initially, but I think I earned their respect. I'd like to think that because I worked so hard and I was good with the clients and I built these relationships, I was funny. Mm -hmm. um, I could talk. Um, I definitely had relationships with them that I think they could trust me. So my, I was initially, there was always a little bit of a, who is this guy, but also my boss, yeah. um, Ken and his boss, Kurt, and then the guy ran it. We were pre all pretty good. Yeah. And there was a good group of account. They got good account people there. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason I think in those days and same with Wyden Kennedy, while yeah. the work was so good, I do believe it was an all-star group of account people as well. Right, right. What makes an all-star account person? Well, I think a few things. One, it's very easy for an account person to fall into the role of a messenger. Mm -hmm. And when they do, they're not contributing anything. They're just pushing everything forward or backward. Mm -hmm. When an account person can adopt the creative or the intent as their own, then they become really good because then they can put their own personality onto the work yeah. as a way of presenting it. Yeah. If they just... Um, if they just sit there and they just kind of go through the motions or they um, they feel that they're not valued, which is important for the creatives to make them feel that way, mm. then they're not doing anything to help. But if they take the work, I used to be able to look at the work and, and pretend that I wrote it or act as if it came from me. And oh. then I became that passionate about it. And That's great. I could just do that. It. Well, I would talk and like, what made you come up with this? What was the inspiration? I mean- You would talk to the creatives. About that, yeah. yeah. How they came up with things, why they like it. I would I would probe. I was never devil's advocate. That's right. also something that just is a great way to distance yourself from creatives with yes. troubleshooting. I was more just saying, did you ever consider doing this? Not because I was thinking of the client, but just so I could understand. Right, right. And I think they appreciated that. And yeah. then you start to just take it on your own and, and, and run with it. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, creatives, uh, I always ask creatives about like how your first partner and how you like worked with them. But as a your first job, you were an account guy. You were sort of on your own at DDB, like yeah, literally was, on yeah. your own. Uh, who was your sort of partner go to when you got to shy it? Who were your? Oh well, my I was around great account people, so yeah, we had a good group there. But I really did. I mean. Um, Eric was really nice. Kathy Delaney was really nice. Charles Hall was really nice to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I got yelled at plenty and screamed at plenty, but yeah. I felt 
like I was in the safe space. David Angelo actually and I did a lot of work together. Right. On um, what what accounts? Reebok. Okay. And then what happened was we lost Reebok and uh-huh. they, they got rid of everyone who worked on it. It was just an easy, the right. decision was made rather than go through the whole staff, just lop off the arm. Yeah. And they needed someone to close up all of the records, the financial, the billing. We also had a Super Bowl spot that was running. Yeah. Um, and so the whole thing was they hired me back freelance to, after letting me go, to basically deal with all of the getting the tapes to CBS and all the billing and oh, wow. going through the records. It was really contentious. It was extremely contentious. Yeah. And so I negotiated that if they wanted me back, they had to make me an AE um, and I wanted a raise. So I didn't have a job, but I sort of negotiated a, a title increase and a raise. That's balls. How did you have the balls to do that? I don't know, because I knew they needed me. Right. They, they, they fired everyone except the management soup and the account director. Who did you call when you, when you, when you got fired the first time you got fired from DDB, what, what I was despondent. What, yeah, what did you feel like? Oh, I was despondent. I also my girlfriend dumped me three weeks later, so I was uh, oh. I had a double whammy, and I was in Chicago, and I, yeah. you know, it was just it was I was in a video store. Yeah, it yeah, like, it was pretty bad. But um, when I got let go from Shiat, they let go like fifty people. We had a huge party. Yeah, we rented out a bar and had a huge party. It was one of the greatest at that time, one of the best nights of my life. <laughs> and they did it in a great way. They, it was awesome. It yeah. was really fun. And they said, you can come and use the office. Oh, the the, the agency rented the bar. Yes. Uh, and they said, hey, you guys, we're, we're letting you go, but we're going to have a huge party. Everyone's coming. Everyone's coming. Do we're going to have the best night. And then and they said, but feel free the next day, over the course of a couple of weeks, you can use our office, use yeah. the phones, use the computers. Because it wasn't a firing. Right. It wasn't as much as cause a, as much as it was, yeah. A losing an account. So I would come in and, and hang out, and I could see they didn't know where the records were. They didn't right. know where the invoices were. They didn't right. know where the estimate signed, signed estimates were. So right, right. I basically just hung around until they basically until they hired me back. That's amazing. And then we were we were working on Fruitopia. Yeah. And I worked on that. And then when Coke gave us that business, I was then full time. Oh, and you got to stay. I stayed, yeah. So you you hung on by hung the on. skin of your teeth. Yes. Where did you go to next? And how did you make that move? <clears throat> so we moved to the virtual office and Wyden and Kennedy called. Uh, and I never just geographically never thought I would ever move out of out of the East Coast. But right. here's Portland, Oregon. Yeah. I couldn't even probably pick it out on a map, but they called. And I had started looking a little bit. I, I'd been at Shy for three years and I just didn't love the office. And we sold to TBWA. Right, right. And there was definitely the camp of Shy at Day and there was definitely the camp of TBWA. And there I was, was the Infinity, was that the, a TBWA account? Like the Infinity Absolute cars, Vodka. Absolute Vodka, right, Fi- right. Bridgestone, right. Firestone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I. Um, it's hard when, when companies merge. And then there's these two cultures that have to, one has to win. Yeah, we, we were under the spell of Jay being the pirate, you know, yeah. the Navy. And right. we were under the spell of fuck the system and and we're not playing into the games. And next thing you know, he sells the company. And I'm a young, immature um, kid who basically drank the Kool-Aid at Shia. And yeah. so I started a question, you know, here I am now interviewing for a job at TBWA for Firestone. Right. And I just thought, I, I thought I did pretty well enough here to not have to interview for a new job. So I started yeah. looking and yeah, yeah, yeah. I had turned down Whiting Kennedy the year prior. I wasn't ready to leave. Yeah. And they called again and basically it was like, this is the last time we're calling. And I, I took the job. Oh, wow. So I moved so you, to So you uh, moved Portland. to Portland. I moved to Portland, yeah. Uh, 
And that's where you sort of made the switch to creative, right? No, I was still an account person. Oh, okay. So again, I, I just, I loved it. And it, there, yeah. I mean, creatives too, too many to name were just, yeah. the halls were just right. flooded with the talent yeah. from everybody, yeah. from everybody. What was the difference between New York and Portland in your mind <clears throat> at that time? There was a quieter confidence in Portland within the agency. Mm -hmm. um, well, I didn't care any, first of all, Dan and Jay couldn't be further apart, yet right. they talked. Dan Wyden is is an classy, elegant, not that Jay's not, but right. he's just not, he's an Oregonian. He's he's yeah. humble and he's reserved and he's familial and um, he's not imposing and he's not, he doesn't, he's not a screamer and um, he's not, a, at least at first uh, blush, intimidating. He, mm. He's approachable. And so that kind of, quiet sort of confidence really permeated the place. And there was also this, you're not in New York. So we were away from all the ads and billboards and the parties and right. all the things that consumed the the lifestyle around advertising. Yeah. Portland was so removed from that you really were about the work. Right. It wasn't about the glamour of the industry. Right. The awards were dusted and broken in the corner. Yeah, yeah. And there were pictures of all the people that worked there as you walked in the lobby. Right. And it became a place where the work was center, not the lifestyle. Right. And then the freedom to do the kind of work we wanted to do with the accounts that we had. Yeah. It was a, it was amazing. So you were working on Reebok and that's why Nike wanted you to work I on I think so. I mean, and that's why Wyden wanted you to work on Nike. And I worked on Nike. Oh, that's um, amazing. I worked there. For, yeah, I worked on Nike I did international Jordan, trying to help Jordan go international. I was I followed up. They already started that, and I was placing. Yeah. Then I worked on golf and tennis, um, and cross training. And you've you've been a sports fan, right? Yeah, You're huge a sports fan. So like that huge. was probably a dream come true. Working, it was working there. It's where your hobby becomes your job. Yeah. And that we used to say the line between the agency and the client was was blurred. You didn't know where one ended or began. So I was friends with a lot of clients. We would spend our weekends playing basketball or softball or mountain biking or skiing. Right. And you'd see them every day, multiple times a day, and then you'd see them on weekends. So yeah. it was a, it became this, this, this um, fishbowl of just everyone that you were around, working yeah. together, working with, working for, all in one place. Did you have a family at that time when you moved to Portland? No, I was, or was it just you? fully single. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes it easier, but also hard because you don't have any friends and you have to sort of, it was, but you have a job, which is yeah. and, taking up a lot of your time. And every Friday we'd all go to a bar, uh, yeah. the Rialto. I mean, there was definitely a communal, familial place. So I, it was easy to make friends. Yeah. Uh, we had a great account group on Nike, like yeah. still friends to this day. Right. Um, and we spent a lot of time together. So I think that's when I come back to moving from New York to Portland after moving from Ohio to Miami to Hartford, like it just yeah. didn't seem like a big deal to me. Yeah. I just did it. Right. Uh, and at, at what point did you switch to, to creative and how did that happen? So like, I, what's the story there? They moved me to New York. Um, they moved me to New York and we were working on the subway series in 2000 and the creatives in Portland started a campaign, why New York is better than New York. And we needed new lines for it because they were now in the New World York Series. is better than New York? And it was New York pinstripes versus New York blue and oh, orange. Got it. Got so it, got it. so it was series. the Mets right. and the Yankees, but you couldn't use their. Is this 2001? 
2000. 2000, right. So you couldn't use their logos and you couldn't use any marks. So it was why New York is better than New York in, yeah. in the font and with pinstripes and the colors. Yeah. We had no one to work on it. We were really um, stretched and they didn't bring in freelancers and no one in Portland could work on it. So I just started writing the lines. Um, and it was a low budge campaign. Outdoor campaign, yeah. print and out of home. Right. And Ty was the creative director with Amy Nicholson. And, uh, uh, and they were in Portland? They were in New York. They were in New York. Yeah, they moved me to New York. And okay. so I basically wrote this campaign, wrote the lines on this existing campaign yeah. and then presented them to the client and they got approved. Yeah. And uh, they ran. And after the bug or the drug of seeing work that you wrote <laughs> yeah. on a Do huge wall. you remember wall, the headlines? What were the headlines? Um, your team plays in Flushing. Uh, there is um, our bleachers serve beer because the, the Yankees got rid of beer in the bleachers. Oh, okay. And the Mets. So it was just rid- doing that research. and Yeah. And- yeah, and, and that just came second nature to you. Was there a brief, or did you just say, no, like, it, "I know what"? The... It, it was literally write more lines because yeah. I didn't have to concept a new campaign. Right, I just had to write. Yeah, um, and so that coupled with the fact that I really was selling work that I thought I could do better. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really started to feel like I could be, I could do this. Yeah, and so I went to Ty specifically and and Amy, um, but Ty kind of drove near the end. Uh, I said, I want to I want to become a copywriter here. I don't want to do account management. And I had also become a, a management soup, so I was further and further away from the work now. Yeah. I was doing new business, and I just missed the work. Oh. And um, I had to go out and meet with Dan, and he was against it. Uh, he just didn't think that. Why was he against it? His, his line was, why would I take a great account person and make him a mediocre creative? Dan really believed that you're born a creative. You don't become one. Mm. Now, I didn't want to go into my details of how I wrote as a kid and I was always always a writer or I think in that way but he just he just kind of had this perception that you you if you go in account management track yeah. you're not a creative but you you're a part of a creative world mm. um, but you can't become a creative so I took a huge pay cut and I went to classes at night and I said in six months if you don't like what I do you, I guess you can fire me um, and so I took this massive pay cut. I went to, Jerry Graff was one of my teachers. Wayne Best was one of my teachers who, oh, by the wow. way, Wayne was my partner and he was a teacher of mine at SVA and at <laughs> Ad House, Jerry Graff was, I learned a ton and I- Oh, you went to Ad House, that's I went right. to Ad House yeah, yeah, and yeah. to SVA. Yeah. And um, in six months I flew out to Portland, showed Dan the work I did and he gave me a huge hug, which was so emotional and oh, said, wow. welcome to the creative department. Wow. That's a it's a real test. I mean, you could have you could have taken that response from him and said, "Hey, fuck you, old man. I'm going to oh, no, do my I own was, thing." I was in tears. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he didn't even he just after I showed him because they put me on real projects. I worked on yeah. ESPN. Yeah, I worked on Coke. Yeah, um, I had stuff that I wrote, and then I had stuff from classes. My yeah. homework. Yeah. And when I showed it to him, he just stood up and opened his arms. And it was just, I mean, oh said, welcome to the creative God. department. Yeah. And, and but I mean, time. the first meeting you had with him where he was like, yeah, you're 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 a great account, uh, account person. Why be a mediocre creative? Right. You could have taken that personally and you didn't. No, I didn't. And when Dan says, calls you great in anything, you kind of just go, oh, yeah. that's so cool. So, yeah, that is so I was cool. flattered. Um, but I knew I could prove him wrong. Yeah. I, I just, it, I took it as a challenge. Um, what did you have to learn? What did you have to unlearn to become a creative? Being responsible. 
I had to unlearn being responsible. Yeah, you have to. I had to learn to take the client out of the equation, to truly think. Especially, I was starting over. I was now a junior copywriter at Whiting Kennedy after being a management soup at Whiting Kennedy. So I was doing live read radio ads. I was doing internal in videos, um, new business pitch videos. Plus, I'd get some assignments. But um, so you were still doing that job too. Well, I was doing it as a writer. Yeah. You know, and I worked for I worked for. Ted Royer and Jeff Bitsack were my mm-hmm. ACDs, and, mm-hmm. and then uh, and Ty and Amy were above. Did you have a partner? I, we we changed partners, so I worked with different partners. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Lemate was a little bit. Kim Schoen, Adrian Hilton. Wow. Um, I, yeah, we had a bunch of different partners. Um, yeah. Wayne Wayne and I did a lot of work together. Yeah. And uh, they had a, and Jonathan Mackler was my first partner, who oh, I wow. owe a lot to because I thought I was a writer. And John and I would get briefed on something, and then I would write up the notes from the brief, yeah. and I would present it to him. And he said in the most direct and kindest way, you know you're supposed to come up with ideas, not just write notes. And it didn't even occur to me that I had to come up with ideas. I just thought I wrote the notes, and then we together would do the ideas. Right, right. So right. I didn't even know how to concept. And yeah. the idea of like, what's an I, you know, I, I knew how to sell ideas, but to come up with an idea. I, I had to learn that. And yeah. I had to learn to not say, well, the client would never buy that. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. to think irresponsibly. Right. To be, to think irresponsibly that you had to learn that. Yeah. How yeah. did you, how do you teach yourself that? Like, what do you, you just start. You start, you literally start thinking irresponsibly. Yeah. Like, start going it really feels far really, out. Yeah. We did a thing for Nike Canada where we wanted to do, uh, I wanted to do a shoot in Israel during a war and snow started falling in Israel while people were battling on the middle of the field. And it was all about the how snow makes everything better. Yeah. And there's no way we're going to go to Israel. There's no way we're going to use the war in order to sell Nike. Right. But it felt good. It yeah. felt really good to write it and come up with it. And yeah. then you just inch your way away from that a little bit. Yeah. And then, Did you present that to Nike? Or no. was that just like, no, <laughs> no. we're not going to present No, we presented it internally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and they were like, no. Yeah, no. Um, but yeah, to, to be able to uh, do something crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I find that like when I look back on my favorite things that I've done, it's always that thing where you had that moment where you, it was like, yeah, right. Uh, exactly. And then you go, wait, maybe if we did it this way, it right. could be, yeah. The other thing that Wyden did really well um, was teach you to use your own voice and be selfish. Like, what do you find interesting? What do you believe in? What do you, what have you, who have you always wanted to work with? What kind of voice did you always want to have? Yeah. And put that, inject that into your work. And the idea of making the work personal was sort of a new thing for me. Ah. And I thought that was, that helped me a lot. Yeah. Do you find that some of your favorite stuff that you've done has had a personal, like what, what, what's personal in, in your work that we can see? Well, I mean, the HBO, the one spot about the mom asking if, daughter's okay being a lesbian was a a conversation my mom had with me when I was single at the age of like 42. She was like, it's okay if you're gay. Yeah. And so I was inspired by that. I think, I think dialogue and relationships, the KY work where we were kind of investigating marriage and, um, the, the couple where the guy gives cash for their anniversary. There's a spot where, um, we've been married 14 years and for our anniversary, he gave me cash. My brother did that, you know? So, um, I try to find that, that kind of reality. I also love sitcoms. I love dialogue, um, and reading it and writing it. So I, I kind of veer towards that. Yeah. Um, but there's, 
you know, my first commercial was a silent movie commercial. It was a silent film uh-huh. for Coke and ESPN, and it was directed by Albert Brooks. And yes, that, tell me about that. And how did it? And well, it wasn't even. He's, obviously, he's uh, Harold Einstein is related to yes, his, uh, Albert ne- Brooks because Albert Brooks's real name is Albert Einstein. Exactly. Yeah? Exactly. Which, you know, you got to change that. Yeah. Uh, um, well, that was my first commercial shoot. I thought yeah. if they fired me after that, I was good to go. Um, <laughs> whether and the spot's still one of my favorites. Whether or not this I'm, is the Michigan and Ohio. No, that was um, that was ESPN. This was right. the little boy trying to sneak into the football game, and he ends up going as a Coke vendor. Oh, right, right, right. And again, people when I interviewed after Wyden told me to take that off my reel. It wasn't strong enough. I just didn't because it was. I didn't care. It was my it was my first commercial yeah. directed by Albert Brooks. Right. And um, How did you get to have Albert Brooks do it? Well, I love silent movies. So there again, that's a very widened lesson was I couldn't, the brief was Coke and the NFL and ESPN, three clients. And it was do something that celebrates those three brands in one 60 second spot. Mm. And the way I thought about it was, well, I like, um, and I like silent movies, so let's start with a silent movie, and um, and write story, write a sixty second story. Yeah. And so Wayne and I just kind of started coming up with stories, and mm-hmm. we wrote a ton of them. And this idea of a vendor sneaking into a football game, yeah, broadcasted by ESPN, and then rather than look at commercial directors, we said, who would love a silent movie? Who would like to do it? So we had Penny Marshall, Woody Allen, Albert Brooks, and. Albert had never done a commercial before and he wanted to, he was really into it. And he was looking to do one. He was looking to get into it and he didn't understand clients. He didn't understand getting on a pre-pro with clients for Coke, right. or, you know, of all Why things. would we talk to the client about this? Yeah, he's like, like, just going to say no. He um, he was very precious him. about it, but yeah. it was it was awesome. I mean, it was great. Yeah. And uh, and it all started because I just love silent movies. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's it's a really great, like, I think a lot of creatives forget to like, do something that interests you. Like, do you know? Yeah. It's okay. Like, it it adds a, a a flavor to it that it wouldn't have without you. And chances are, if you love it, you can convince someone else to see why you love it, and they yeah. might love it too. And you can put those little details in there that are the reason why you love it, right? Uh, and be so true to it, right? And uh, the the kissing spot was part of I without, love that spot. without sports. Yeah, I didn't. And and that campaign was Kim and Kevin's. They came up with that. Yeah, and everyone Kevin contributed. Proudfoot, Kevin right? Proudfoot. And, and everyone contributed to that um, yeah. to that campaign, and I uh, I had presented the Michigan Ohio State thing under a different campaign. Yeah, at, for ESPNU, and they said let's make it the, for this campaign. I'm just going to describe it. So it's uh, a, a couple making out on a couch. One of them's wearing an Ohio State t-shirt or uh, sweatshirt, and one of them's wearing a Michigan sweatshirt, and it says, "Without sports, this wouldn't be disgusting." Yes, yeah. uh, which I just I thought. When I saw that, I was like, that's the perfect. And actually, I wanted to work at Wyden after I saw that. Ah, thank you. That's and, sweet. And uh, looked up all the names, saw like Kevin Proudfoot and all these names on, uh, this was pre like being able to look look people up on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, went over there. There's a very, I'll talk about it in my interview, but uh, there's a famous <laughs> thing that I always tell everybody that I went to pick up my book thinking I was going to meet Ty Montague or Kevin Proudfoot or somebody who did that stuff. And they they said, come pick your book up. And I went to the um, lobby 
And the guy said, yeah, just go to the elevator. I went to the elevator. It opened and my book was oh my God. on the elevator. It's so hard. I'm sure you guys were just busy, but um, that, uh, I know. <laughs> that's pretty worst. terrible. It was the worst. Yeah. It's interesting that this, this podcast, was, there's all these stories like that. We've all been through it. Yeah. I mean, the rejection yeah. is It was awful. And it was just like, and I ended up working for Ty later. So what was it like working for Ty after working with him as an account guy? Did he, uh, and you were an account guy with him, right? I was was an account guy with him in Chide and at White and on SVA. Yeah. We won the SVA business. Oh, okay. And then he helped me switch over. I I owe him a a huge amount of gratitude for for championing it. Yeah. Ty, we had a bond. We definitely had a bond because we had history. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really tough on me. I mean, yeah. he was very tough on me. And yeah. during Beta 7, when we did that. Right. He, I lo- that was one of the first uh, campaigns uh, that I saw that felt like a hoax, like a yeah. real, like the, like real uh, hoaxy documentary stuff. Oh, it was which, huge. It was, uh, it was, it was, and I remember Ty bringing me through that and I was like, wow, I don't know how you got that sold. I don't know how you made that. It must've just been. It was, a, it was awesome. It was a ton of work. I mean, yeah. and it was. It, he, Ahead of its time. It was, and he was the visionary that said, we should do something like this. And then we crafted the story. I worked with Robert Rasmussen on it. We crafted the story. We knew that the mass media campaign could have a play within the hoax. We yeah. created two, I wrote two websites. Yeah. Essentially, we worked with um, uh, Steve Wax and his group from, uh, they did the Blair Witch Project who yeah. were huge and, and we choreographed it. I mean, we, we had meetings every week with huge calendars on what we're gonna do next, right. judging opinions, how to dial it up, dial it. it was We called it live theater, but Ty started that, but he was on me. I mean, it was every week, what have I done? At one point we were doing small space ads and we couldn't get approval from accounting to buy the space. So I just took money out of my checking account, which wasn't a lot because I just needed to tell Ty we did it. Right. I couldn't tell him that accounting didn't approve yeah. the media buy. I just was like, here's a hundred dollars, buy a twenty-five dollar you know, yeah, buy four twenty-five dollar ads. Yeah. And they'll do small space ads. And then at least I can get him off my back because yeah. he was just on me the whole time. And what would he say? How would he be on you? What would what would What have you done? done? What about this? What about that? Have you thought of this? That all you've done? Is that it? I mean, there was one meeting. One meeting where we were in a room and he was he went on vacation and I just was manic about getting stuff done. So when he came back, I knew I was gonna be the first person he saw because we knew this was gold. We knew this was something special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could have in that meeting, I could have, I could have said the sky is blue. He would have said, well, what kind of blue? Why is it that? I mean, he anything I said, he just was at me. Yeah. And at the end of the meeting, I was already dejected. It was in front of everybody, and. Uh, he said, well, I have a heart out at five o'clock. What have you learned from this meeting? And I said that you have a heart out at five o'clock. And he, he just said, seriously, you're, you're gonna poke me right now? And it was bad. And the next morning we talked through it and yeah. I learned a lot about you yeah. know what I was doing wrong. And I was just, it was a tough love kind of situation. Yeah, he's amazing at that. I, I've yeah. seen him do it uh, at J. Walter Thompson uh, and it never, feels out of control, but it's, no, it's very scary. <laughs> it's very scary. And, but underneath all of that, there was a tremendous amount of respect. Yeah. Like I wanted him to be proud of me. Right. And I think he wanted me to deliver. Yeah. I mean, we wanted each other to succeed. Yeah. And it came out in different ways, but I knew 
he had my back. I mean, he was the reason I was even in the department. Yeah. So there was that wanting each other to succeed and do right by each other. Yeah. But in the heat of it, we definitely um, had it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that uh, w I want to talk about SSK. What, yeah. What's what's different about uh, you've you've risen up to CCO level and you're like what's different about your job now? Um, well, my job in some ways is even more enjoyable now because I can manage an office and I can um, help talent and recruit talent and um, inspire talent. I love the idea of motivating a team or an organization. Mm -hmm. I, I Probably my favorite thing to do is is being a mentor or a teacher or someone that puts the, the, the creatives first, you mm -hmm. know, that it's no longer about me. What, one thing I, I've said is don't become a creative director or any higher level creative until you're absolutely ready. Because mm. if you have any desire to be in the spotlight or any desire to be the author of an idea, then don't do it. Mm. And I waited till I was over 40 mm. after all the years, even though I started later than some. Yeah. By the time I became a you know, at Mother, I, was, I took a creative director role. Mm -hmm. By the time I got that job there under Paul, and then yeah. eventually the CCO job at SK, I really didn't want to be in the limelight. I wanted the people below me to succeed and star. Right. And so that's my favorite part. Yeah. Um, SSNK is probably the smartest agency I've ever worked at because they are great at crisis management, corporate reputation, yeah. their political um, background of working elections and yeah, responding you got to work to, with Obama. Worked with Obama in 2012 and we did the first lady's uh, obesity campaign with Funny or Die and yeah. we did a lot of design work for them. The the it's like kind of when I was on IBM like you can't just slam a shoe against a table saying it's going to be cool. You have to really structure arguments and and craft points of view yeah. that are intelligent and strategic where and and find a way to talk about the creative within that yeah. versus just screaming about the creative. Right, right. And the strategic the, the strategic chops of this agency are, are yeah. phenomenal. And so I think that has been really rewarding too. It's just kind of exercising another part of my brain. Yeah, and it started as a PR company and it sort of morphed into an ad agency, bigger yeah, agency I don't, over time. I think uh, it was more this of- This way before your time, right? Yeah, before um, my time, I think the, the story goes where they, they worked in politics. Yeah. And they thought, why is consumer marketing behaving differently than the political model? Which right. at that time, 25 years ago, political campaigns, regardless of the creative, yeah. I mean, we always associate with bad creative, but the inner workings were integrated. There mm. were no kind of departments. You all worked together. You brought in people from different disciplines to sit right. together. Right. You were quick, nimble, and there was a, there was a, you either won or you lost. Yeah. So why isn't that model brought forward to consumer brands where yeah. there is a winner or loser. Right. You have to be integrated. You have to work fast. You have to be nimble. And more and more, you have to be nimble exactly. these days. So they yeah, that whole, the curve. that whole idea of um, fast, cheap, and good, pick two, and now yeah. it's not. It's pick yeah. three. Yeah, it's and, pick three. Yeah, yeah, take all three. Yeah. And so I think they wanted to separate from just politics and take the, the, the way you do politics and apply it across yeah. categories. Yeah. Th that you would make for a pretty interesting company. Yeah. Um, anything I didn't ask you yet? Because I'm just, I'm, I'm conscious of our time together. Yeah. Um, we'll cut that. <laughs> um, what else did I want to ask? 
what do you what do you look for in a book these days when you see young young people? Well, books? it's interesting at SSNK, you know, it's so competitive that I look for now one thing that shows that their brain thinks differently. Mm-hmm. I don't need to see seven things. I don't need to see something famous. Mm-hmm. It could be a personal project. Mm-hmm. I just want to see uh, that their brain thinks differently and approaches something differently. Mm-hmm. And if they have that one thing, I'm willing to take a chance. Um, and I also now, because it's so hard to determine what someone's done versus what someone didn't do, yeah. the just how they are in the room. Yeah. Um, and I would say the third thing is craft. I, being a writer mm-hmm. from the side, the writing side, I find it it's become very easy to pretend you're a writer than to actually be a writer. Yeah. Um, th- there's a lot of lazy writing in advertising, yes. and so I, when I look at writers, I want to see real writers. Real writing. Yes. Yeah. It's very rare. It's hard. Rarer and rarer because I it's think. becoming about the idea. Whereas you know another thing, both at Shied and Wyden, um, writing and craft and design and and how things were put together, you know, the execution was almost as important as the idea. And some, you could argue, there were no idea, but it was so well executed yeah. that it fooled you to thinking there was an idea and people responded. Right. And, and now that type of execution requires that attention to craft. Yeah. Um, how can people get in touch with you? How can, is there? Through my agent. No. Um, Albert Brooks. Yeah, I call Albert. Yeah. Albert actually left. We changed something in the edit, and he got furious and called us and screamed at both of us. I mean, a diatribe going yeah. off and saying. You and Wayne? Yeah, but it's, yeah. So he left on my message and then yeah. wanted, then said he was going to call Wayne and scream at him. We tried to make it our whole music. Yeah. Albert just going off on yeah, us. Yeah, so yeah, even, he, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's whole uh, tapes of of that kind of stuff. Orson Welles and uh, oh yeah, uh, he was Captain Kirk. I and, designed uh, this shot specifically for a fade, and you took away the fade, so you've now ruined the edit. Like it was, it was awesome. That's amazing. Um, I'm B Hirschfield at ssnk.com. Okay. Um, yeah, you email me and yeah, send your book. You can. I'm always open to looking. At, I'm always even open account to, people can even can account send people send while giving book. advice. Uh, yeah. If people want help, if they want, I taught at Ad House for a number of years. Yeah, um, I loved it, and I'm always happy to help. Oh yeah, give us your Ad House. Uh, what's so great about Ad House? I thought Ad House. Uh, what was great about Ad House? First of all, Jerry was great. I mean, he really Jerry Graff. Yeah, he's pretty good. He was really good. He's good at what he does. He should do advertising. Yeah, well, not only is he good at what he does, he was good at teaching it. Yeah. It's a hard thing to teach. It is. You, know, you either see a good idea or you don't. But he w- gave you concrete lessons that that things you can do at home or practice. Yeah. I thought were really interesting. What were some of the? What was one of the ones? You know, you he had he had headline writing, like you know, ten headlines where you pull the rug out. You know, you set up the strategy and then you you pull the rug out from it. Um, mm-hmm. I- irony, just you know, write something that is the opposite of what you mean to say and let it kind of be there, you know, breathe. Oh. Um, opposites, make lists. How do you make lists of everything that comes to mind and then make one list of everything that's the first thing you think of and then make another list of things that you want to do and yeah. see if there's anything that matches in those lists. Like really nice, concrete lessons. Mechanical things. Mechanical things. Is, yeah, I find that that's when it clicked for me when I was at BBDO working for Eric Silver. Um, 
I was in the mindset that like, well, I'll come up with my three things and those will be the things, you know, yeah. and and then I'll be done and I'll, you know, try to sell those things by presenting really well because I'm funny and I can, right. you know, uh, Eric would just be like, yeah, uh, so just uh, shoot me an email with uh, paragraphs of your ideas. Yeah. And we would do that. And then he'd be like, yeah, nothing, no. And you got to come up with way more than that. And exactly. And be like, uh, okay. And so you, you start to realize that it's all about the mechanics of it. It's like a, it's like a tennis swing. You just, right. if you just do it the same, like just learn how to just come up with lots of ideas and you will, you will have good ones. And be critical of your stuff. I mean, that's my, my first review at Widen as a copywriter Ted's first line to me was stop falling in love with your idea and thinking that's the only idea that you have. Yeah. And and there's something that kind of connects these great creatives is their ability to be critical of their own thinking. Yeah. And and keep going, which is really nice. I also liked Ad House because I thought the students were very competitive with one another and they really wanted it. Mm. Whereas at some other places, um, the students are feeling out the business. Mm. You know, I, I don't know if I want this, but I want to see if I like it. Whereas at Ad House, I want a job. Everybody's serious, and it, it made the class better. Right. Um, it was definitely more competitive, and and it made you better as a as someone trying to get into the business. Lauren Slaff is going to love this. <laughs> she, I can hear her right now. She's just squealing. Yeah. Well, with, I with I, glee. I mean, the one thing is, I feel fortunate enough. I was surrounded by even those I didn't name, just incredible talent and creatives. And I had a lot of help from a lot of great people who took an interest in what I was trying to do. I mean, it's not often an account person becomes a, a writer in this business. And I yeah. think I had a lot of help. And when I went to SSNK, you know, I met with Ty, I met with Jerry, met with Ted, um, and just talked through the decision. Um, Tor, who I never met before, yeah. allowed me to come in and just talk to him for an hour about how to run an agency. Yeah, The, the, the kindness of competitors was really amazing. And, and I think that's something that is keeps this industry really fresh is yeah. how smart- I mean, we're competitors. Are. Yeah. We could be killing each other right now. We could be strangling each other, but we're not. No. No, no we're friends. Know. Yeah. Secretly. <laughs> Secretly, we're strangling each <laughs> yeah. other. He has his hands around my necks right now. Um, thank you, Bobby Hirschfeld. Uh, this is a real thrill. Thank you very much. Uh, it's good to see you. And come back uh, to the bowling team. We need you. I don't know if you do. I don't I mean, know if you do, but I it sounded remember. good to say. Yeah, it was fun. All right, good. Thanks very much. So that was my chat with Bobby Hirschfeld. Uh, great guy, funny guy. Um, went from being an account person to being a creative. So I thought that was interesting. His time at Wyden. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff for people that want to maybe make the move from, the, uh, from that uh, account side to the creative side. Also, he's an excellent bowler. This has been The A-List, brought to you by uh, Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thanks for listening. Please rate us and subscribe to the show on iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. Please share this podcast with a friend. And if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, contact us through adhousenyc.com. Lauren Slaff will be happy to chat with you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.